We are learning Daf Hay, and we're starting from uh, the third line down. The Gemara says, What is the source in the Torah that a person shouldn't be haughty? So we've been talking about this, how bad arrogance can be. We spoke about how it can be related to Ish Ish yesterday. And so now the Gemara wants to know, where do we see that a person shouldn't be haughty? And that's an interesting question because you could just say, you know, like all characteristics, where do you see you're supposed to be a good person, you know, certain types of mitos. But here specifically, we were mentioning all these types of punishments yesterday. So usually, in order to punish a person, there has to be a, a, a real formal warning. The Torah has to give a formal uh, warning to it. It can't just be an expectation or a general idea. It's supposed to be uh, a formal warning. So that's why the one wants to know, where do we see such a thing in the Torah? We see from the Pasuk in Yermia. It says, listen, so listen well, don't be haughty, pretty clear. Says the Gemara, you can even see Pasuk in the Torah. So the Torah there is saying that what happens if a person will become haughty, they'll forget Hashem. What does it say? You should be careful not to forget Hashem. Now that Lashon, so you might say, all right, it still doesn't say don't become haughty. However, the following words in the Torah are a prohibition. Any word that says he shamer, be careful, pen, lest something happen, or al, do not, those are all Lashonas of Allah. So here the Torah says he shamer, guard, not to forget Hashem. And it said, if you become haughty, you'll forget Hashem. So putting that information together, that's an iser. It's as if the Torah is prohibiting explicitly that it's also to become haughty. Says the Gemara Darsha Review, Review says, Sometimes he said over from Rabasi, sometimes he said over from Rabani. What did he say? We'll place him down. He's going to make him smaller. So this Pasik is that once a person is saying once a person is Romu, then it's going to become Ma'at, then the punishment will be that they get smaller. Maybe you'll say, okay. They're smaller, but they're still, you know, they could stand on their feet. Tamad Lomar, they ain't nenu. The Pasuk can just say, and they are gone. So HaKadosh Baruch completely can obliterate them. However, what happens if a person does to Shuvah? To Shuvah, his idea that he's going, you know, repenting and becoming humble. Then he will die at the original time that he was supposed to die, like Avram Vinu. Meaning, punishment could happen. It sounds like prematurely a person can die to be humbled and cut down. But if he does to Shuvah and becomes humble, so then um, he can just become like Avram Avinu, where he dies only in the time he's supposed to. It says that they, they will be crushed, which is a way of saying they're going to do Teshuvah. Then Kakol Yikafsun. Like all, they will leap away. So what does that mean, like all? It says Bakol, Mikol, and Kol. What does that mean? By all of the Avos, the expression of Kol is used. It says Hashem Beirachas Avraham Bakol. By Yitzchak it says he ate from all Mikol, and by Yaakov it says Eishli Kol. I have everything. So Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are Bakol Mikol Kol. So the pasuk is saying the way you read it is if the person does Truva of Homchu Kakol, just like all the others, like where it says Kol, you come soon. They'll be they'll be gathered in. They'll come to the world to come. But if not, they're snapped off, cut off like the top of a stalk. Which we'll get to that metaphor in just one second. I just want to phrase for a second. Pause for a second on that. You realize we say that in Benching in the Rachmans. Bakol mikol kol, can you barakas on a kolon yachad, right? So what does it mean? Bakol mikol kol, can you barakas on a kolon yachad? It's mamash hatako from our Gemara. It's really taken direct. You can understand the Benching now, what it's saying. Bakol mikol kol, just like Avram is like Yaakov, where the word kol is associated in different forms. Bakol, mikol, and kol, so too Hashem should bless us. And the idea is that just connecting to the Avos with that relation, the understanding that we have everything, right? That's the idea is that Hashem, Hashem provides everything, everything that we could possibly need, even though we don't always feel like we have everything. 
the reality is we have everything that Hashem wants us to have. All right, so now we try to understand this. The person who doesn't uh, repent, what does the Pasuk say? They get snapped off like the top of a stalk. What does that mean, like the top of a stalk? What's, what's the part of that metaphor? So the sasa is the, like the, a beard, the part that, um, a little part that grows at the top. And it seems like it's like not, it, it falls away by itself. It means like the stalk itself, and it means that it falls off when it's harvested. People cut it off. So basically two different interpretations. One is that it's like the, the, the little bristles at the top of the stalk that fall away by themselves. The second interpretation is we're talking about the literal stalk, which is cut off, and when it is cut off, then it is obviously going to fall. So the Gemara now asks a question. What is the point of the metaphor, though? I understand if it means that the beard of the stalk is the so bullets. That's why it's the top of the stalk. Because that's where the bristles are. That's what falls off by themselves. But if it just means that it's like the stalk itself that a person harvests and cuts off, what is the meaning of what we say that it's like the top of the stalk? It's not the top of the stalk. What happens is a person goes to harvest stuff and he cuts off the whole thing. He just he, 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 he cuts off the whole, the, the whole stalk. So why, why are we talking about the top of the stalk at all? It's got nothing to do with the top of the stalk. The top of the stalk is mashma that a person's coming in. There's a whole stalk, there's a whole stalk growing and, he, and only the top falls off. So if we're talking about the bristles on the top that fall off by themselves, okay, that makes sense. But if we're just saying there's some stalks growing, and what happens is a person comes in and makes a harvest. Okay, very good. It doesn't do with the top of the stalk. It's not the top of the stalk that's falling off. The stalk is falling off. Why is the apostle emphasizing the top of the stalk then? So the Gemara explains, Amar Ravasi, Ravasi teaches, They say this over in Rabbi Shmuel's yeshiva, It's very interesting. Idea of that a person goes into the field and he's trying to harvest the crop. What does he go for first? You go for the tallest one. You harvest them in the order of their height. Why do you, why do, you do that? It's not so clear why it's like that. I guess it's like cycle. It's like, you know, going to clean up a mess or something. Go for the worst pile first. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's behind it. You're, you're harvesting the whole field. But you harvest the, the biggest one first. So that's the same thing with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is dealing with all the people in the world. So the person who's the most haughty, the person who's got the highest stalk, that's the one who gets cut first. So two different interpretations here. We're saying that it gets cut down like the top of the stalk. One interpretation is that like just that there are bristles on the top of the stalk that fall away by themselves, you know, just naturally the arrogant person just falls off. The top, you know, the, on the top where he thinks he is, he just falls away. Second interpretation is that Hashem comes and cuts him down first because you go when a person harvests the field, you cut down the, the one that is tallest first. Okay, now we continue in the passage, middle, clinging close to Hei in the middle. We're looking at the Pasuk where, where, where we're looking at a Pasuk in Yeshai here, where it says, Hashem says, I am living in a very holy place, but somehow I'm together with the low people. So what does that mean that the Abish does together with the low people? One interpretation is together with me, that's where the lowly people are. What does that mean? That the Abishta, we really say this, that the Abishta picks up the low people. So where do they go? Hashem elevates them, picks them up, and they come to an exalted level together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The other interpretation is that the Abishta says, I become low, I go down to them. So everybody agrees that the Abishta has a closer connection, a closer presence together with the humble, with the low people. But there's two different ways to do that. You can pick up the humble person, or Hashem can descend to the lower person. And that's what the dispute here in the Amoram is. So the Maran now says, when it's, in, it's logical according to the interpretation that, I, that it means I am with the low people. One of the basic lessons is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah at Har Sinai. 
Har Sinai was the lowest mountain, right? He left all the greater mountains. And he was Mashri the Shechino on the low Har Sinai. But look up Har Sinai Lamala, he didn't make Har Sinai bigger. He didn't pick Har Sinai up. So what's the Indian? Hashem descended into the low mountain. He didn't pick up the low mountain and make it exalted. The whole, whole Indian that was talked about in understanding what is the, 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 the subtlety here. What are exactly are we talking about? So there's different interpretations. One interpretation is that Hashem can change the fortune of the poor people. In other words, Hashem can make it that a low, humble, uh, indigent person suddenly becomes a bigger person. You could have such an idea. There's no question. Hashem can change the, transform the circumstances in a person's life. That's, that's the, the idea that the low people can be living with Hashem. But the, this is what the Gemara is saying is not the correct Rishab. What the Gemara is saying is what's the more reasonable Rishab, what's more Mishabar, is that we follow the paradigm of Harsinai, where the Abishta is descending into the humility itself. It's not that necessarily always Hashem changes the circumstance, but that he's comfortable with an extra connection down in the low part. Amar of Yosef, a person should always try to learn from the Abishta. And this is always the thing. What it meant is one of the Musr, the Baal Musr always point this out. These Gemaras point these out. And others, that if you just want to be a good person, you're supposed to try to emulate Hashem. So, all these lessons that we try to learn from the way that things happen in the creation of the world and everything, they're all meant to, for us to understand how to be a better person. So, it says that we should learn from Hashem. Hashem gave the Torah, He left all the mountains. So, we have instead He put it on our Sinai. And then we have in the brackets over here that uh, the same thing when HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Masher Eshkina in the snet, in the thorn bush, and the same exact idea. And we're not sure if it's part of the Gersi here or not, but it's definitely a true concept that Hashem appears to Moshe Rabbeinu in the thorn bush, which is very low. It says the Gemara, Marbar Lazar, middle of Tavhim et al. Called him, Shishu Gatsurach, and one was Hadi Baruch, the God of Kasherah. He should be cut down. But in what way should he be cut down? So we're saying it a little bit more. Just like an Asherah tree is, is cut down. Asherah tree is a tree that's worshipped by the Zara. It should be cut down. It says about arrogant people, the people who are lofty will be cut down. So we're looking at the same phrase of Giduim and Tigadeun. So we're comparing them and saying that it's Mamash like Obviously, what's the connection? It's yesterday's daf. Yesterday's daf is that arrogance is a form of Avodazar. Because you're not believing in Hashem. Arrogance is stemming from an insecurity about the belief in oneself and what Hashem has given to you versus other people. That's all the root of arrogance is in that. So that comes from fundamental disbelief in that Muna that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you what you should have. Person who is haughty, so he's, his, his dust will not be stirred. What does that mean? He's not going to merit Chiesa Mesim. Awake and start singing the people who dwell in the dust. So it says really the people who dwell dust. It doesn't just say people who are buried, who are all dead people, people living in the dust. The people who dwell of dust. It means people who are comfortable with dust, even when they're alive. Forget about the fact that we're buried when we die. But even just people during their lifetime, they, they view themselves like dust. They have no problem associating themselves in a low way. Those are the people who are resurrected in Trias Amesim. Says the Gemara, anyone who is haughty. Shechina, Miyayelis, I love the Shechina, is like cries over him. The idea is that the arrogant Hashem grieves over them. They get broken up from them. The Archa Sadiqim expounds upon this. He says the worst Midah, the one that pains HaKadosh Baruch Hu the most, it bothers HaKadosh Baruch Hu, another certain Midah, it's like, bothers, there's an idea that it bothers the Ebishta, is our arrogance. This is the first part of that. Normally, a person who is exalted, so he sees another exalted person as the one he wants to hang out with, right? Societal hierarchy. We always see that. Once you reach a certain stature, so I only hang out with people of that stature. It's hard for me to, to go beneath that. That's the way it works. But the Abishta, and, 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 and just for a second before the contrast, but someone who is high, it's hard for them to even see 
a low person as someone that they, they want to be with. He's the most exalted. And yet, what he sees are only the lower people. Though Hashem is very exalted, he's able to view the lowly people. It's not much what we say in the Halukas when we speak about the first one. Let me just pick this up real quick just to see the possible. It says in the first one, the first Halukah, And we speak about the, the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and everything, every, everything we're talking about. When, and, and then at the end we said, Yim Hashem. But where does it say? It says in the Pasuk, All the amazing things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. But then what does it say? Saying all the greatness and miracles that Hashem can achieve, and Hashem cares about the Yasem Vamana. Like a very odd, odd sort of place to put that in. The Vard is, is that that's what greatness is. Greatness is that Akash Baruch is the, the greatest, and at the same time, where is his heart? His heart is with the lowest people. Says the Gemara, Amar Abchista, anyone who is haughty, Amar Akash Baruch Hu, can't be with this person. It's like a presence. Like I can't, I can't, I can't be together with him. Shnemar milashim. It says also hatzmes kavai namer kavidam lecha also luuchal. It says in the pasuk, person who slanders his neighbor secretly, I'll cut him down. And then the pasuk says, someone who's haughty and has a wide heart, meaning not in a good way, a good heart, way too big of a heart for himself. Also him luuchal. I cannot be. I'll decree also. Don't say also. And the ito with him lo uchal. I cannot be with him. So the different vowels we say with him. Hakadosh Baruch says I don't want to live. Other people say that we should emphasize the beginning of the pasuk. The people who slander in secret. Those are the people that Hakadosh Baruch will cut down. Says the Gemara Malach Sanchez. Let me show you something. Zeruach, anyone who's haughty, I feel Zeruach Kima Ocharto. Even a slight win makes him nervous. This is a favorite Gemara because what does that say? If you want to know, people get bothered too easily by things. You know where it comes from? Haughtiness. Haughtiness is you can't take when things don't go your way very easily. A small thing can upset you. Small little win doesn't go away. You blow a little bit, it bothers you. The Gemara says that's a little sign of haughtiness. It says the wicked will be in like the driven sea. So the idea here we're saying is that in the sea, a little blow, a little blow. Right, let's just continue with it. The sea has tons of reviews of water, like tons and tons of water. It's still, a slight wind can, can, can roil up all the water, right? That's what happens is that it's like still because it's, it's, it's a lot of water and it moves very easily. So a slight breeze, when you're in the water, it moves the water very, very easily, even though it's a huge amount of water. So Adam Shishavah a person has one reviews, one reviews of what? So we know from Nazir, one reviews of blood. That's always the Adam, the essence of a person that's been Ba'ol is a quarter of the lug of water, of blood. All the more so that, 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 that a slight wind, one little wind can make you go crazy. So Torah scholar has to have an eighth of an eighth of audience. Meaning, even though we've said hardness is so bad, you have to have a little pride. It's very important. It's the Torah that's in him. The pride of the Torah, he has to have a shminish, shminish, one eighth of one eighth of such a dosage. It's important that people, you know, people treat him right way. And some, there's a slight value. It's very interesting. Caveat to all that we've learned. If you have the Torah, people have to respect that a little bit of pride is necessary. And there's a shminish of a shminish. It's like a crown to him, like that beard of the stalk. Remember what we said before? It's like that, that the bristles are at the top of the stalk. The Gemara goes back to that muscle, that a little bit on the top, 
he should have that beard. I've always heard that people quote this as saying that Tamil Chacham should have had beards, right? What's the Gemara saying? The Gemara is saying that it should be like the top of the stalk where it's kisasa, like a little beard, so that we see that idea. A little interesting, the Gemara says, not everybody agrees to this. Rabbah says, very interesting, that, that it, someone who has a full amount of haughtiness should be put in khair. Someone who doesn't have any haughtiness as well should also be put in khair. Meaning, first Rabbah's agreeing. Rabbah's putting this in a different word. He's saying, you're stuck either way. You don't have any haughtiness, you're no good. You have too much haughtiness, you're no good. Yeah, I gotta know the right dose. Again, this is only for the time of the Shminish, Rishminish, but the Mizan, everyone agreed. I don't want any of it or part of it. I'm nervous at the Pasuk. Any haughty person is an abomination to Hashem. So there's a famous Vilna Goyen. You got to know the Goyen. The Goyen says, what's the Sheminish of a Sheminish? So if you take a look at the eighth parasha in the Torah, what's the eighth parasha in the Torah? Parasha's Vayishlach. And you look at the eighth Pasuk in the, pas- in the parasha, the eighth of the eighth. That's what Yaakov says, which is a reflection that he's got a little, little, little bit that I've got. Hashem owes me. Hashem owes me. I did a lot of good things and I'm nervous that I've been paid back for my schar, what's going on. So you can see in Yaakov's words, in the eighth of the eighth, in order for it to be assured that a person's tefillah will be answered, you have to make your heart soft like flesh, meaning not hard like stone, but rather humble. What would be every, every month? Uh, every all the flesh, all the flesh will come to bow in front of me. By flesh, it says will be healed. It doesn't say that they'll be healed. So we're talking about saras here. There's different types of afflictions. So when it's saying about basar, if it's the flesh, it speaks about healing. But when it says adam, a person, then it doesn't say the idea of, of healing. So it's an indication. The soft, humble people like flesh are easily easily healed. People who are oh, strong adams so and they have a harder time. Says the Gemara, Amar B'yochanan, Adam. What is Adam? What does that mean? So it's an acronym for three words. Afer, Dam, Mira. Dust, blood, and Mara. So Mara is like some sort of bile, which comes from like the, 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 the liver. Right? We know what it's able to do, how important the, the organ of the liver is. So that it, it produces the bile. So that's what Adam is. Afer, Dam, Mara. You can show all other people say, I'm sorry, basar is busha, surucha, rima. Basar is an acronym for busha, shame, surucha, bad smell, and rima, wormy. So, so, so obviously you see then that, that, that basar is much more humble. Ikodami sha'ol. Some people say that the middle level, letter there in the acronym, the shin, is sha'ol, is the grave. That's the shin. It's not samach, it's a shin. Right? So it's very different. Surucha should be a, 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 a samach, not a sin. So therefore, we go with a different thing. We go with Sha'ol, as opposed to Tartamima. No, it's very interesting that a lot of times you find that Sin and Samach are interchangeable, especially when you're dealing with like letters of the alphabet. You ever notice in Kaladon, it says, So that's Sin, right? But it's used right after the Nun, right after the Nun. So it should be a Samach. Tarot is that a lot of times Sin and Samach are interchangeable. And this is why the Gemara is working with it, right? The first shot was Srucha instead of a Sin. The second shot is saying it's a Sha'ol. You will be nifkas. Nifkas is like pushed down, diminished. And Amar, what does it say in the Pasuk? This is by Saras. It says for Se'ez and Sapachas, different, uh, different types of stuff that appear. So Se'ez, besides for being, you know, the literal Saras, Se'ez can also mean to be picked up. And all the high mountains and all the raised up hills. So in Sapachas, that's failed. Sapachas is put down. So we're basically, we're saying, Se'ezu Sapachas is that it, someone who's high, very strong, will then eventually become pushed down. 
Let's say, how great are the people who have a low spirit in front of the Ebishtah? What happens when the Ebishtah was standing? Other Mark of all the person means a carbonola. He gets credit for being a carbonola. Mincha, if he brings a mincha offering, schar mincha biyado, he gets credit for being a carbon mincha. But if a person is humble, it's as if he brought all the karbanas. Fascinating idea. When you have reality, this is, this is, this is where we, you know, we live without a base of mitzvah, it's actually very empowering. When you live with something, so it's all based upon experience. You bring an ol, you bring an ol, you bring a mincha, you bring a mincha. We don't have an ol, we don't have a mincha. So what do we have? We have brokenness. That's what we have. When you're hung, when you're brokenness and you have desire, so then you have it. You have it all. You have all of what the desire is for. You have everything. The sacrifice of Hashem are the broken spirit. Without it, and you don't have a carbon, so you think, oh, you're confident. You bring your carbon. You have the carbon. Now us, all we have is tefillah. We don't have that. So then Hashem doesn't despise it. Broken and crushed heart, Hashem will not despise. So in a certain way, the disadvantage of not having the base of mikdash can actually serve as an advantage in the means of connection. Anyone who's Samar Chosov, what does that mean to be Samar Chosov? Literally, it means, you know, you make a path. So, what does that mean, you make a path? This is a big yusay. Don't go through life, just, okay, whatever happens, happens. You make a few decisions here, make decisions there. person has to have a mahalach. You have a path. A path means you have a certain value system, core values, essential values, an understanding of self, a trajectory. Well, that's what it means to have a path. So, anyone who does that, Makes better decisions. And then, a person who does that will eventually be to see, to witness the salvation from the Abishah. It says in the Pasuk that, that one person who sets himself on the way, I will show him the Yeshua. The person who has, like, he, he makes an appraisal, literally. That's the idea. He praises, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? How much is this worth? How much is that worth? It's like the Gemara says, Machashev Schar Mitzvah, Mitzvah, you understand what's the right thing to do. All right, now back to the Lamdas here of the Mishnah. Ketzad Makanila. So at the end, what did we say? We said that he's warning her. What did he say in front of two witnesses? So the Mishnah was, what did the Mishnah say? If he said, don't speak with that person, and she spoke with that person, she's still mutter. But if she secluded herself with the person, then she becomes awesome. Meaning a soto doesn't become awesome when she speaks with the person that she was warned to. She becomes awesome when she secludes herself to the person that she was warned to. So the Gemara finds a difficulty here. He said in front of two witnesses, don't speak with a person. So we see that speaking is as if it's seclusion. Because when we're speaking about her warning, she is warned not to speak. So it sounds like if she, that, that that's what the warning is. If she would violate that and go speak, even if it's in an open place, it would be a sota. But then the Mishnah says, if she actually goes and speaks, she goes and speaks, she's still mutter. She could eat truma because it's nothing. Dibor is of no consequence. So what the Gemara is trying to figure out is, if you're trying to say that Dibor is nothing, then why did you describe the warning like that? Meaning the contrast should be, it shouldn't say in the Mishnah, if he said to her, don't speak with that person, and she spoke with him, she's permitted. But if she was in seclusion, she's awesome. It should emphasize what the warning is. It should say, if you're, she's warned not to speak, that's garnished. If she's warned not to seclude herself, that's something. The Mishnah implies that she's Gufa being warned always not to speak. But then when it goes and says what happens if she does, it says only if she secludes herself as she asks her. So what's going on? So the Gemara clarifies, and this is kind of intuitive what the point is. The Mishnah is missing a little bit. If, she's, if the warning was don't speak and she spoke, or even if the warning was not to speak, but she secluded herself, or 
She was warned not to seclude herself, but all she did was speak. Then she's mutaris. Because in all those cases, there wasn't a warning not to seclude and a seclusion. However, if she was warned not to seclude herself and then she secluded, and she was there for long enough for the Tumat to happen. So, in conclusion, it's a very simple point. The warning has to be against seclusion, and seclusion has to occur. If both components are not there, she's not Asr. If she was not, if she was warned not to speak and she secluded, she's Mutaris. If she was warned not to seclude, but she only spoke, she's also Mutaris. And certainly if she was warned not to speak and she only spoke, she's Mutaris. You need both components. She has to be warned not to seclude and she has to seclude herself. When both components are there, that's the case that she becomes a Sota. All right, now, when she becomes a Sota, this is a Gishmaka Gemara, throws us back into Yavamas, a little Yavamas ring. What happens when she becomes a Sota? So she's also her husband. What happens if the husband dies and he dies childless and she has a brother? What did the Mishnah say? She does chalitza and she doesn't do yibah. So what's the pshat? What's the pshat? She should be taken to yibum. She should be taken to yibum because she's not usher to the brother-in-law. She'll be, yes, she was a sota to her husband, but now that her husband dies, so the question is not whether she, she can be with her husband, but rather whether or not he, she can marry her husband's brother. Frek the Gemara, she should be allowed to do Yibam. Frek, now, this Gemara is a puzzling Gemara. Very heavy lumb this year, Baisa. Listen carefully. There's a Gemara in Vamas Daf Yud Aleph that says that a Sota cannot do Yibam. You got to know that coming into this. There's a Gemara that says black and white. It confirmed Sota, meaning not like us, where we don't know if she did it. It confirmed adulterers. We had witnesses that she, you know, she was a Mazana. We know she did it. What's the halacha? The Gemara says black and white. She does not do Yibam. And the reason is because it says in the Torah, it's Tumah. Tumah is the same Yalashon that's used by an Erva. Just as, let's say, if it's a two brothers married two sisters, so it's a brother's wife and a wife's sister and the same woman. There's no yibum, an erva doesn't do yibum. A sota, a confirmed adulteress, doesn't do yibum. So what in the world is the Gemara saying here? Here you have a sota. What's a sota? A suffolk in our case. We don't know. So she's, she would have drunk the, the bitter waters, but then her husband died. She didn't have the chance. So now what did the Mishnah say? The Gemara doesn't understand. Why doesn't she do yibum to the brother? Frek every achron, frek the rishonim even. What's the Gemara's question? The Islam, she's a suffolk if she's a sota. If she's a sota, she has a din, she doesn't do yibam. That's the din, to mokzibabakar eyes. So what's the Gemara saying? A suffolk sota should do yibam. It should be suffolk lechumr. What is the Gemara saying? She should do yibam. So let's bring it out the way that Reb Chaim explains the depth of it. Is that really every woman who is a suspected adulteress, but we don't know, she has a cheskas tahar. She has a cheskas kashras. The Chazaka should assume she didn't do it. The Torah said a new Isser in Sota that says that she's Asr to her husband, Asr to Yitrim, and she should drink the water. That doesn't mean that for all aspects of the Torah we think she's an adulteress. That means Lagabi the Dinim that the Torah said, the Torah said because she, was, she, was, she secluded herself after she was warned not to, these Dinim are Chal. But for Din, for example, could she marry the, the brother? Klape that Halacha, we should assume she didn't do it. She's Becheskas Kashras. Once you get to a halacha that the Torah didn't identify as a repercussion of being a sota, then legabe that halacha in that perspective, she's 100% kosher. It's a fascinating paradox. Klape the brother, the Gemara thinks she did evil. Klape her husband, we're nervous that she did it. Yeah, that's exactly the halacha. She has a chazaka. The Torah said a sota is something that she did it, but the Gemara is asking that legabe the brother, legabe yibum, it should be mutter for her to do it. Amar of Yosef, so we need another Pasuk. Amar Kra. What does the Pasuk say? When a woman who's divorced, 
And what happens? And what, why was she divorced? Because her husband was nervous she did adultery. She leaves her home, and she will go and marry, marry somebody else. So it's talking about the Sota who got divorced. So the Torah says she should marry somebody else. She should marry somebody else. What does it mean, somebody else? Don't marry the brother-in-law. What that means to say, what the Pasuk is basically saying, obviously it's a drasha, because after she's divorced, you don't do yibam. But it's saying, she, after a woman is suspected of adultery, she should only marry random people. She should not marry someone who is close to her husband. A drasha. Frank, they understand. I'm I'm Then she shouldn't be chalitza either. Meaning, why do I do chalitza? Chalitza is done when, there's, when, when you choose, when you opt not to do yibam. It's the other option of the Torah as opposed to doing yibam. But if you're saying that there's a drasha not to do yibam, that a sota doesn't do yibam, so you shouldn't need chalitza either. Great question. Says the Gemara, Listen to the lambdas. What happens when you have a sota by you? Does the marriage implode and does she just leave? No, she's forbidden, but the Torah says you give her a divorce. That's the case the Torah speaks about of divorce. The classic case of divorce is when a man has, suspects that his wife committed adultery and he divorces her. So a sota gets, needs a bill of divorce. She, the marriage still exists despite the fact that she's a sota. He just has to divorce her. So just like when the sota was by her husband, she needs a divorce, so too now when the husband dies, even if she should not marry the brother, she needs a chalitza to rid herself of the zika. What do we see here, Rabbi? What's chalitza? Chalitza is the need, and the way maybe before Chalitza even just to speak about, there's something called the Zika. The Zika is the continuation of the relationship from the deceased that is now transferred over towards the brother, even before Yibam or Chalitza is done. She's in a relationship with him. The Zika, whatever remnants of the relationship exists from the deceased that now is placed in front of the Yavam, do Chalitza or do Yibam. Chalitza is not just get out of Yibam. Chalitza is more. It's get out of the Zika, get out of the natural bind, the remnants of the relationship that remain from the deceased. So just as the deceased, even though she became a sota, the halacha is that the deceased has to give a get to get rid of it, so too now that that zika comes to the yavam, even if he shouldn't practically go ahead and do yibam, he needs to do chalitza, he needs to do chalitza in order to get rid of the zika. Says the Gemara from Shad, the Ista, I mean, another answer about why the adulteress doesn't do Yibam. Amar Yosef Rachmana, Amar, what was the Lush on the Torah? She should go marry somebody else. Hashem doesn't want his house to be divorced, to, to be destroyed. Meaning, the reason why Hashem said to divorce the woman who's a suspected adulteress is because adultery destroys one home. So then, why in the world would she do Yibam? Meaning what the Gemara is saying is that if the message that Hashem gave to the brother, the deceased, is get rid of this woman, go divorce her, she's going to destroy your home, then you think Hashem wants that this woman should go ahead and marry the brother in Yibam? Clearly that's not what Hashem wants. Now, but what's the Isser? <laughs> Meaning, it's not what Hashem wants. Hashem recommends divorce. Okay, but, it, and if he does it, what's the Isser? So the it's a deep idea here. The Isser is going to be that every Yibam is really a brother's wife. It's an Isser of Eshazach. Normally, the Torah permits it in order to do Yibam. But if there's an argument that that's not what Hashem would want because the adulteress should be not be in destroying people's homes, so then the Vart Lamai says that the Isser Eshazach is here. And the Gemara has a hard time with this. So why should she marry anybody? Right? 
if you have an adulteress that's being divorced, there's no way for somebody else to pick her up. It's only us that we're saying for the Yibam to happen. But what's the distinction? If we're saying it's not Hashem's will for this suspected adulteress to marry anybody because she's a destroyer of a home, so then why did she marry anybody? If the reason she doesn't do me Yibam is because of that will that we understand from Hashem, so what's, what's the pshat she marries anyone? So we don't force anyone to take her, meaning that's the understanding. Anyone else, we don't say go take her. You want to take her? Take her at your own risk. She destroys homes. Look at what just happened over there. Take her, take her at your own risk. And we can understand that. But Yibam's not like that. Yibam is a compel. The idea is that there's a mitzvah to marry her. And we understand that Hashem wouldn't make a mitzvah to go ahead and marry a woman who is a destroyer of homes. So now that we understand that, now that we understand that there's no mitzvah to do it, so therefore, now it's going to apply. Barashi explains, So everybody else, where it's optional, discretionary, take care of your own risk, fine. There's no Isra. Hashem didn't say you can't marry a suspected adulteress. The husband divorced her. You want to marry her, marry her. When it comes to the Saita, Lagabi Yibam, we say no. There's an Isra Ishasach. The Torah will be to that for the mitzvah. It's, a, it's illogical that Hashem would make a mitzvah to marry a woman who's a suspected adulteress that might destroy your home. Therefore, the Isra Ishasach doesn't go away. So, very different interpretations why she doesn't do Yibam. First interpretation was Xeris Akasav La'achar Vololiavam. The second interpretation is that it's illogical Hashem would be to the Isra Ishasach and give a mitzvah to marry a woman who might destroy one's home. Let's try to finish up this sugi a little bit. Other people say a different reason why the suspected adulteress doesn't do Yibam. The Pasuk says that the second husband is another man. What does that mean, another man? Meaning, not a good guy. He's not like the counterpart of the first husband. Whoever picks up a suspected adulteress is inferior in his character to the husband who divorced her. Meaning, he's not a good guy. Why? The first husband, he got rid of a wicked person from his house. You do the right thing. You have a suspected adulteress, you divorce her. Vizad, the second guy, he wants to bring her into his own home. So what do we see? The Torah says something bad about the husband who picks up the second adulteress, the, the, the second husband who picks up the suspected adulteress. He's an achar. He's not such a good guy. And you think that Hashem would make a mitzvah to marry her? So it's very, very similar, just a different nuance. The Pasuk calls the, the, the second husband an achar. Then clearly we don't, we're not going to give a mitzvah to him. What would happen if the suspected adulteress went to another random guy, right? After the first husband divorced her, she's picked up by a second guy. She, and now that second guy dies childless. Maybe there shouldn't be do Yibam because the second husband is another man, right? He's a, he, he, he's a bad guy. So what would happen if that second guy had a brother? There's no Yibam. We're not, that's not what we're saying. We're only saying the brother of the deceased who, who, who had the Sota doesn't do Yibam. But if she went to somebody else who, 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 who picked her up and then and he died childless, what would the halacha be? There would be even. So why? Says the Gemara, because Gabe, Gabe, the high miah, b'shem tov have a kaima. Because relative to that person, in regard to the other person, the Yavam, the second husband, she did have, she did have a good reputation. We're saying a very deep idea. When the death occurred, and from the relationship that was, she was a suspected adulteress. So in that relationship that is now being transferred to Yibam, she has a bad name. She's bad. From that relationship, you want to think there should be a yibam? No, it's illogical that there should be a yibam. It's, it's more mistaber that the Ishazach would remain. But if, let's say, the first husband divorced her and she went to a new person, maybe that new person is not such a good guy for marrying her. But Lamaisa, they had a faithful marriage. Nothing happened. Everything was good. No suspected adultery in the second marriage. If he then dies, so then everything's fine to take over that marriage. Yibam is all about taking over the past relationship. So if you're taking over the past relationship where the suspected adultery occurred, that's illogical that there should be such a mitzvah. But if you're taking over 
from the relationship that occurred after the divorce from the suspected adultery and the second relationship was good, there it's Mustafer that there should be. So we're going to stop here for today. We're still in the middle of the sukkah. We'll stop here. But we basically understand that there should not be a mitzvah of Yibam on a suspected adulteress because even though she's still married and even though there's not necessarily the Isr Sota over to the brother, but we understand that it's not the will of the Torah. Either it's a drush of the Achli or it's illogical for the Torah to give a mitzvah to marry the Sota.